We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Here comes Allen. We know he can run with it. Breaking a tackle. Allen lets his end zone. Touchdown. Incredible play by the rookie. Good snap. The kick is good. And Buffalo wins it here in week five. Everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Beer. To my right is my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Mr. Spiro Peters from NFL Network. God, I love saying that guy's name. It would be also great if you got where he works correct. He works over at CBS. CBS, CBS Sports. Sports. That game was not on NFL Network. Who gives a shit? Chris. Hey, you just got to cite this stuff. This, that's what we got to do. Just cite it. I wish and we had that drop. Do you want to get sued <laughs> from the Simpsons? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, how are you feeling this week? Is it a little bit better from last week considering the Bills won a game? Oh, well, we put points on the board. <laughs> we put points we on put the board. We put points on the board. That's what matters. <laughs> and we were there to see it in person. God, Sunday was a far from perfect day. I mean, this weekend, Chris, myself, our fellow season ticket holder, Potter, and friend of the show slash creator of bangedupbills.com, Dr. Kyle Trimble, got together at the stadium at about, well, we got together at my house at about 6 a.m. and headed out to the stadium for Sunday's game. I mean, I'm a tailgater through and through. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right, which means you get there early, before sunup. You set your equipment up. You cook your food early. And then you just drink hard until kickoff. Yeah, I, what did I, I brought a, what, bacon cheeseburger dip. Oh, it was incredible. Crushed it. So, here, I mean, it wasn't much of a weekend. I mean, usually our tailgates are a much livelier experience. We were missing three of our fellow season ticket holders. The weather sucked. I mean, it wasn't even really raining. It was just a mist, just a shitty mist that made everything wet on the surface, but didn't actually rain. In fact, it would have been better if that had happened. 
And, and I mean, for a tailgate, things were pretty subdued. I mean, it was just the four of us standing around for a really long time under a tent, telling dick jokes and <laughs> just laughing about nonsense. And making fun of your teeth. Well, of course. I mean, that's easy. That's low-hanging fruit for comedic, ha- comedic hacks like you and Potter. And I mean, Kyle's so nice, he just won't make fun of anybody. Now, here we were just standing around, and all of a sudden, over the course of the morning, listeners to the show started showing up at our tailgate, and I got to tell you, it, it, it was incredible. I mean, it really did make the day for me. I mean, three different people stopped. First of all, as I'll forever refer to him, Mr. Todd Collins. Listener from Massachusetts who... Kevin. Who, Kevin. As, thank God you remember his name. I was so wrapped up in the fact that here's another person who's willing to voluntarily, not just like, oh, hey, I'm going to wear this Todd Collins jersey because it's a jersey and it's this cheap. He's wearing it because he loves it. It's an old school throwback jersey and it's fantastic. And he's from Massachusetts, no less. The fact that he rocks that thing, you know, he came over to the tent, shot the shit with us for a little while. It was great. And then Mr. Andy Parks, listener to the show, he stopped by. And aside from finally getting to meet the guy, you know, after tweeting back and forth with him for a little while, he was kind enough to bring us a six-pack of Hamburg Brewing Company's lager, which I consumed almost in its entirety before we closed down the tailgate. Yeah, because when we're, when we're tailgating, I prefer to drink uh, a mixed drink. I don't really touch beer outside of tonight for the sake of beer watch and drinking these things all, all season long. What I'll say is this, Andy, thank you so much for coming out. We very much appreciate the beer. And we got into a, a conversation, and we're kindred spirits in the, in the train of thought that as a grown adult over the age of 30, there's something weird about wearing a jersey of a guy who's a decade younger than you. I just can't do it. I haven't bought a new jersey since Darius, which I bought when I was about 25. So I've got a TO jersey I bought in a parking lot in Atlanta for 30 bucks. <laughs> but see, he's older than you. That fits the, that fits this. Throwbacks are okay. You know, custom jerseys are cool. You just don't want to be I don't know. There's something weird about walking around with a 22-year-old's name strapped on my back. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. And I'm glad to see that I have a kindred spirit in Mr. Parks. And then, probably the biggest surprise of the entire morning. Well, Andy Parks is the only one that said he was coming by the tailgate. Exactly. Kevin and then... Mr. Rowan Keating. Sure. Hailing all the way from Australia. Dropped in and spent the morning hanging out with us. It was just out of nowhere. Guy just pops in. Hey, it's, it's Drew. It's Chris. I know. Yay. I expected to see the flag. And I was like, well, I didn't get a chance to hang it up. It's still in the truck. Who, who are you again? And then we got to talking. He's a fan of the podcast from Australia who flew all the way here to the States just to watch sports. What, Chris? He said he's been here for a few weeks? Yeah, like a month. He flew in from uh, Sydney to L.A., rented a car, and has just been driving up and down and across the United States. He went to the Green Bay game, came here. I think he said he was going to a Tampa Bay Atlanta game. He went to the he said he it was one of the great I mean it was awesome getting to talk with him because he got to go to his very first hockey game and see the Sabres win, which is incredible in and of itself. Then in the same weekend came to a Bills game and got to see his very first Bills victory in person ever. I mean and just and just in talking to him, it was incredible to me because, I, 
I mean, we just had a blast discussing his travels and you know, just all of the, his anticipation of the game and rugby and how hockey made no sense to him. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't really understand the concept of icing. And yeah, you didn't know. You didn't know. Um, you don't know rugby, and he don't know. Um, you don't know hockey. So you really, had a, you was, had fun explaining it to each other. But it was also really cool getting his perspective on what he thought about the Bills, considering he doesn't get a lot of input from the local media. I mean, that was nice. It, it was a great experience all the way around. Huge shout out to him. Safe travels, my friend. And I got to tell you, as I was j- after leaving the game, as I'm jogging back to my truck, just euphoric, you know, we got the win. I, I mean, I, I'm still irritated because of the way, <laughs> which we're going to get into here in a minute. But I was just jogging back to my truck and it dawned on me. This is Rowan's first, this is his first win he's ever gotten to see in person. And then as I start walking, I go, I'm incredibly lucky that this team sits in my backyard. I mean, I live less than Chris that morning. Yeah, you move closer. It's less than a 15-minute drive from my house. To know that something something that means this much is that close, and then knowing how much other people care, and yet they have to go continents in order to see it. It just it really kind of made me take stock in the things that I'm appreciative of and how lucky I am to live here in this city and you know, just have the opportunity to see this team as often as I do, Chris. I mean, thank you to everybody who stopped by the tailgate. Hopefully, you all do it again soon. And anybody yeah, else, Monday night. And anybody else who's out there. Monday night, 29th. Make a point of stopping by, having a, having a drink or two with the old boy, Drew Garrett. Yeah, come, uh, come over to our tailgate and help uh, me make fun of you for... Being formerly fat and your shitty teeth. Because that does not get old for me. Folks, and with that, we are going to hit this week's Bills News Update. LaShawn McCoy has been the subject of trade rumors. I mean, Chris, trade rumors. Trade rumors. LaShawn McCoy, the Buffalo Bills. It's insanity to talk about, and I'm not even going to waste my breath. Here's the biggest story to break this week, as told by Mike Garofalo. Yeah, and and they'll listen to the Eagles on this one. I mean, look, uh, LaShawn McCoy likes Buffalo. Buffalo likes LaShawn McCoy. But we know where this team is right now. It's in semi-rebuild mode. They would push back if I said it's a rebuild. So I'll say it's a semi-rebuild mode with a rookie quarterback. And if they get enough value for LaShawn McCoy, who has already crossed the running back threshold the the tipping point for running backs that's accepted by many even though i believe he still has some good football left of 30 they will make the trade and like i said mccoy likes buffalo but i do know having been around him talked to him about philly seen his interactions with people in philly even after he was traded to buffalo that he would love to come back to philly and he'd also love to play in buffalo i'm still putting that in there as well so it makes sense for a lot of reasons but one source uh, with knowledge of where the trade talks are, did tell me late yesterday, slow down, everybody's getting way ahead of themselves. Howie Roseman investigates everything, so this is just the preliminary stages of the talks at this point. I'm sure he's also talked to other teams about other running backs as well. We'll see where it goes as we get closer to the trade deadline. Mike Garofolo, NFL Network, with the shady trade rumors. Are, have people lost their minds? I'm sorry, Chris, in what universe does it make sense to trade LaShawn for? Easy, we're rebuilding. I I stupidly opened up Twitter 
Once I found this out that this is being talked about, I opened up Twitter and then had to close it out of frustration. The same people who do the there's some there's a contingent I think of Bills fans who are mentally ill. And when I say that, here's what I mean: you all have split personality disorder. Because what I see is the same group of people who said that the Bills were going to only win three games are the same group of people who bitch that the Bills look like a team that might only win three games. And then at the same time, they're the same team to then say, well, well, I can't believe we're this shitty, we're terrible, this team sucks, but we should also trade LaShawn McCoy because that'll fix the thing I'm angry about. It's 30 years old. You people are out of your fucking minds. It's 30, why not trade them? I'll tell you why you don't trade him. Yeah, running backs are good after 30? No, because right now he's the only thing that works on this team. He's it. He's the only consistent thing that you can bank on from one week to the next as far as having an opportunity to be great. He's it. All right, well, why not trade him so you can get some halfway decent draft capital? Because you're not going to get halfway decent draft capital. The Eagles don't have it to give to you. They have, what, a couple second-round draft picks that you're never going to see. He's a 30-year-old running back, Chris. At best, your return's going to be a fourth or a fifth-round pick, which at that point is the same thing you got for A.J. McCarron. You're not going to give up LaShawn McCoy for that. And even if it was a second-round pick, what you'd be doing is this. You want to tell me that the Bills are in the middle of rebuilding. Okay, that's fine. You want to tell me that the Bills are going to make moves that say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to try to get we're going to try to get some things done. We're going to try to grow as a team. We are going to build towards something. You also made the decision earlier this season to roll out your rookie quarterback, knowing he wasn't ready to go out there. What he needs is a team around him so that he can learn how to be a quarterback. Do you know what happens when you trade LaShawn McCoy, the only consistent thing on this team, off the roster? Everybody else, I shouldn't say everyone, but there is going to be a contingent of people who decide, you know what, if the team's going to quit in week five on us, then we're going to quit too. We're going to half-ass this and just collect our paychecks and go figure out what to do with our lives after the fact. How is a rookie quarterback supposed to learn in that kind of an environment? No, he won't. Instead, he'll go back to being Justin Long in the movie Dodgeball, just taking wrenches to the face for no reason. It's a stupid idea, and if the Bills do it, then they're dumber than I've ever given them credit for. It's great. We're on opposite sides on, on that. Belichick always traded people when they got hit 30 and got decent return. Belichick had Tom Brady. He didn't have anybody he needed to protect because his quarterback did everything. Who'd they, who'd they get rid of? Like uh, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, Richard Seymour. Richard Seymour, I think, yielded a first-round pick. They had Tom Brady. None of it mattered. When you have a, Defense matters. When you have... Not to last year's uh, New England Patriots, who were the worst defense in football and went to the Super Bowl. Why? Because they had the highest scoring offense in the game. Because they had Tom Brady. Your argument is flawed. You're like a horse wearing a snorkel. You don't make fucking sense. <laughs> God, I hate you. Well, plus the Eagles, you know, uh, force Brady to fumble to win the game. But that's neither here nor there. That defense wins championships. No, because because that same defense gave up 500 yards passing. But the play that mattered was Suck made on dick. defense. Suck a dick. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. It's neither here nor there. We leave it at this. It's yeah, we'll be fighting uh, outside uh, on Seneca Street in South Buffalo at uh, 10.30 tonight. Come watch. Uh, no, don't even bother. It'll be over by 10.32. <laughs> 
In other news, the Bills have made the weekend's rumblings official and signed quarterback Derek Anderson to a one-year contract. It's surprising, considering that I had forgotten about the guy completely. I mean, I had just assumed, Chris, that he would have already retired to Cleveland, where he could walk around, relive his you know, the only glory day he ever had, and literally no one in the city would recognize him as a former NFL player. <laughs> two of, his life would have been perfect. Two of 17 for 23 yards and a 6-3 to three win. What a, what a horse's That's ass. That's all I remember about Derek Anderson. I mean, it's anticipated that his his presence here on the roster is going to be to serve as a mentor to Josh Allen. Now, if you think about it conceptually, as far as the roster goes, it makes sense. Darnold has McCown. Rosen has Bradford. Mayfield has Tyrod. Now, it might work, because Derek Anderson was the mentor for Cam Newton. As Cam Newton was kind of rising, you know, as a quarterback, and he had a lot of things to iron out in his game. I mean, Chris, do you remember what a turnover machine Cam Newton was early on in his career? No, I just remember him winning national championship. You know, the twenty-one point comeback on Alabama. But then you don't remember the first five years of no. his career because you're not a real football fan. You're just a dude who solely no. watches football. And I just wanted to bring up <laughs> that. That one time in college, Cam Newton beat the shit out of Alabama. We might actually fight here tonight, folks. It makes sense because Bean saw that. Bean got to be part of that process. And watch how Derek, Derek Anderson worked with Cam Newton behind the scenes. So if they think it's a good idea, I'd trust him. But here's my question. The timing on this. Why wasn't it done sooner? If, if you took care of this in the offseason, Allen might not even be playing in these games. He might not be. You know, he wouldn't be out there getting his head kicked in behind questionable play calling in a bad offensive line. You might be having him learn behind Derek Anderson, who's out there being a human punching bag, a sacrificial lamb for this team, to go out there and say, hey, you've got Josh Allen, and he's going to learn from somebody, and he's going to learn from you by meetings by working with you, but then also by watching all the things you do and learning how not to do them. If he gets caught up to speed, I don't want to see him enter the game at all, unless there's an injury. Well, obviously, but look at Chris, the, the overarching point for me on this signing, do you remember two weeks ago when I was banging the drum about how certain things the team was doing made me wonder if they actually had a plan in place? Or if they were just flying by the seat of their pants here in terms of how to develop a quarterback. I mean, this move, you're right. It's a nice move to bring in a, a veteran presence to try to mentor a young quarterback. But it underscores the previous points I made and the concerns that I had with the fact that there, there might not have been a ton of forethought put into how to put this roster together in order to make sure that Josh Allen could grow into a successful professional. That's from Jump Street. That should concern the hell out of everyone. That here in week five, the team has finally identified the need to find a veteran presence. I mean, it's, it's absurd. And it's something that, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, there's a lot of people out there who are applauding this move. I don't think it's a bad one. But if anything, it makes that pit in my stomach a little bit bigger in terms of watching this rookie GM and rookie head coach handle a rookie quarterback. Ugh. 
Chris, I don't know if I'm going to make it this evening. This stuff is just going to eat me alive. No, you don't. You'll make it. Everybody, everybody's going to want to see that, even if you don't make it. What, the meltdown? Is this the complete unhinging of a fat guy with no shirt on in the Bills parking lot? Yeah, I will just like step back with my camera, obviously, take video, and watch you just blow your stack in the parking <laughs> lot. Security and tasers. Oh, it'll be, Chris, the day I lose it over all this nonsense, it's going to be epic. As far as, as long as we're talking about epic, do you want to talk about an epic game in terms of on the edge of your seat and yet still cursing everything under the sun? Our week five recap, folks, the Buffalo Bills pulled off a home win, unexpected, 13 to 12. Let me run down the stats of the game for you. Marcus Mariota, 14-26 for 53%, 129 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, two rushes for 10 yards, and a 51.6 rating. Josh Allen, 10 of 19, 53%, 82, 82 yards, no touches, one interception, four rushes for 19 yards, and the team's lone touchdown of the day. In fact, the game's lone touchdown. The Bills' rushing attack. 144 total yards, which is a season high. McCoy, a season high, 85 yards rushing, two of three catching for 23 yards, 13 touches on first down. Bill's defense, three turnovers, two fumbles, one interception, one 20-yard pass allowed, 4.9 yards per attempt allowed through the air. Chris, is it safe to say watching this offense, last week my biggest bitch was the fact that LaShawn McCoy only saw the ball eight times and that we abandoned the running game almost from the gate? Well, yeah, because we got down early. What do you mean? Well, down early doesn't matter. You still have to establish the thing that is the strength of your team. And we failed to do that grossly last week. So... A week removed from one of the most confusing performances I've witnessed from a Bills offensive coordinator, Dable rebounded. My eyes. I thought he called a pretty solid game. It didn't sound like that in the stands, I'll tell you that. Oh, uh, no, because in the stands, I'm like those guys from, uh, well, what's the movie, uh, Major League? Okay. <laughs> oh, Randy Quaid. The biggest change from, from last week to this week, I think it's the thing I swore about most. McCoy's lack of involvement, Chris. It's clear that somebody got in Dable's ear, whether it was McDermott, whether it was McCoy, or just, I don't know, reason, common sense. Just a few minutes ago, I said it. McCoy touched the ball 13 times on first down. He only touched the ball eight times during the entire game in Green Bay. And six times, he saw the ball on both first and second down. The results are there. They speak for themselves. McCoy hit his highest yardage total this season. He single-handedly picked up four first downs, including that on that game-winning drive that, yeah, I'm going to catch the ball three yards, four yards out from the line of scrimmage, and then I'm just going to juke my way through the field for 14 yards. Yeah, while holding the ball like a loaf well, of bread. <laughs> well, holding, while holding the ball like a loaf of bread. It's infuriating to some people watching McCoy hold the ball, but he's done it for so long and hasn't fumbled that you got to trust him at this point. Overall, they emphasize running the ball up the middle rather than trying to bounce everything outside like we've seen over the first few weeks. I mean, they, they had tried up the middle, but that was running behind Ryan Groy. 
with Bodine, this is the first game where they really kind of emphasized, hey, we're going to run up the middle of the field. Now, last week, they had just eight attempts up the middle for 66 yards. And a lot of them came when the game was already out of hand and the uh, Green Bay defense was playing prevent defense. This week, I guess the defense who was missing their starting interior linebacker, Wesley Woodyard, and starting safety, Kenny Vaccaro, they made it a point to pound the middle of the field. 28 attempts. And 91 of our 144 total yards came rushing up the middle of the field. I mean, Chris, that's an important statistic. It really is. It shows the fact that, A, our offensive coordinator maybe knows how to analyze a defense's weaknesses like we sit here and try to do every week. But at the same time, it also underscores the fact that the interior of our line is getting better. They're getting better. I mean, that's the important thing. And maybe it has a lot to do with the substitution of Ryan Groy for Russell Bodine. I don't know. That's what I was going to ask you. It's got to have something to do with Bodine now playing and not Groy. Because Groy was awful to start the season. He was. And so it's interesting to see that Bodine seems to be gelling with the guards in terms of the run game. And they're really starting to make some hay up the center of the field. Now, on to something a little more depressing. Josh Allen. <laughs> in my time watching quarterbacks play for the Bills over the last 20 years, I don't know that I've seen a guy be more up and down, not even from game to game, but from play to play. Sometimes he looks fantastic. I mean, he sets his feet in the pocket, he stands tall and with pressure in his face, and he cuts some really sharp passes. I mean, think about Charles Clay. Hits him over the middle. I remember during the game, remember we were all laughing, sitting there going, wow, remember when we used to yell for Tyrod to throw those? Because he caught the ball five yards and took it for like another six. And then he gets Zay Jones the ball right before the interception that went off of uh, Andre Holmes' hands. He gets Zay Jones the ball for a, for a third and ten completion for, I think, he, I think it was like 12 yards. He gets the first down on a play where he just he knows the pass rush is coming. He stands tall, and he just cuts a sharp pass straight out about the hash mark area for a completion in a first down. I remember I was talking to whoever, whoever was sitting next to us. I forgot the guy's name. He works at Man Mosers in Hamburg. Go see him for chicken wings. But I, it was like a third and long for the Bills, and I said to him, I turned around and I said, who would you rather trust in this situation? It's third and long. Do you want Josh Allen or do you want Tyrod Taylor? Who do you have more faith in to, to make this first down? The answer is Josh Allen. You're damn right, because at least Josh Allen will throw the ball. I mean, Tyrod Taylor led the league. Not led the league. That's, that's, that's an egregious lie on my part. Depends on, <laughs> yeah, it depends on what league. AFL? He, he led. He didn't lead. But he was high in terms of third down completion percentage. And that's one of the things that national pundits point to when they say, well, look at how good Tyrod is. But he was throwing screen passes or just running the ball himself. Allen is at least willing to take those shots. And he did. And he made a couple of them. And it was great. But at the same time, in between those tentpole plays, there's at least a dozen plays where the ball ends up thrown into Kelvin Benjamin's knees, like on that crossing route. Chris, do you remember? It was on our side of the field, and I see the ball leave Allen's hands. And I'm confused for a second because I don't see it in the air. And then I realize it's on the ground, and then I turn around to the Jumbotron, and I see it literally hit Kelvin Benjamin in the thighs and just roll around in the grass. 
Well, you know the way Calvin Benjamin's playing this year, you might put some of it on him because his effort is not there. I don't care about that. That's an inexcusable throw. You put it out in front of the wide receiver and let him catch it. You don't put it into his crotch, okay? I mean, unless you're Adam Sandler in the longest yard and you're trying to teach the ref a lesson. I mean, ultimately, I get it. He's a raw quarterback. He literally has almost half the pass attempts over the course of his prep, collegiate, and pro career as number one overall pick Baker Mayfield. So the kid needs time, right? He needs time and he needs reps. What bothers me about this is that if he needs time and reps, why are you putting him into a game where running is going to be the way that we win? By limiting his pass attempts in order to get us in a better winning situation, you're not doing the kid any favors by getting him into a, into a favorable position. Getting him the physical reps that he needs to learn how to pass at an NFL level. So what are we, so it brings me back to my original question, Chris. What are we doing here? What are we doing with a rookie quarterback? What times? The next week it's, wow, we'll throw 20 and we'll run the ball 40 because that'll get us a win. Are we trying to develop a quarterback or are we trying to win football games? What are we doing? The fact that no one has an answer for me. It's, it, I, you know what? I'm not going to upset myself with this anymore because we won and I don't have to hash, I don't have to parse this apart. And do you want to know why? I got season tickets. I can do whatever the hell I want. Fucking right, Jason Sudeikis. Fucking right. I'm a season ticket holder. I can do what I want. Chris, the defense, I think without a doubt, saved the day for the Buffalo Bills. Can we agree on that? Yeah, we had three turnovers. <laughs> Fucking right. Thankfully for everyone here in Buffalo, my sanity included, a lot like the first one of the season, the defense came to play and were very much the saviors of the game for the Buffalo Bills. If anybody on the Titans offensive staff was doing their research about the Bills, you know, just in the run-up to this week's game, I'd think that any offensive coordinator worth his salt would have gone into these offensive meetings with one thing, not just highlighted, not just with his point underlined on the whiteboard to draw attention to it, but actually would have written it in gasoline on the wall and set it on fire. Protect the football! The Titans failed to do that, and it's a big reason why they lost on Sunday. With Sunday's win, our Bills team is now 8-2 and two under Sean McDermott in games where they forced two or more turnovers. And they're 2-1 and one this season. Last season, McDermott brought in, you know, anybody, some of our older fans may remember this name, Peanut Tillman, okay? Former Bears cornerback who was a turnover machine because he knew how to... If he couldn't cover you and take away your ability to catch the football, he'd let you catch it and then just punch it out of your hands for a forced fumble a yard or two down the field. They brought him into training camp to teach our defensive backs how to target the football, how to force fumbles. And then they've been teaching what they learned from him to every upcoming class of young football players on this team. I mean, our players are coached whenever possible. Attack the ball. You want to be a sure tackler, but make sure you're also being opportunistic and attack the football. So ball security should have been preached by everybody on the Titans coaching staff. And the fact that they fell asleep at the wheel on that front led directly to a Buffalo Bills win. I mean, you look at the secondary. One interception by Teron Johnson and one pass of more than 
15 yards through the line of scrimmage through the air. I was impressed by the fact that the team is continuing to grow in the secondary. You've got young players like Teron Johnson. Week over week, he's getting better. He's growing. He's showing that he's acclimating to the NFL game. Chris, I hated the pick when we took him. You gotta have more faith in our head coach because that's his mo is coaching up defensive and backs se- and secondary. And I guess I should I guess I should take that into consideration. But I hated the pick. I was like, why? Why we need we need help everywhere. We need offensive linemen. We need all kinds of stuff. You never have enough. You draft him with a cornerback. Well, he's playing his balls off right now. We once again limited a team's deep passing ability to just one catch, which makes us sixth best in the NFL in terms of passes of over twenty yards allowed. But when you take that one catch and you look at the why behind it, my blood starts to boil. And it takes me right back to something I was screaming about last week. Well, screaming. You know, we had to record the show twice, so by the second time around, I wasn't as animated about it. But I was furious about this. Undrafted free agent, uh, you look at Ryan Lewis. He started the game for the Bills. By the second quarter, all of a sudden I look out there on the field and I see Philip Gaines. And I said, oh, shit, okay, well, something must have happened to Lewis. Must have been an injury, must have been, he did something wrong, the coaching staff didn't like something he did on the field. Nope! It's just Frazier and McDermott up to their usual 10-year over-talent horseshit. I re-watched the game, okay? Lewis did nothing during his early snaps to warrant being pulled off the field. At no point did he look like a liability. Meanwhile... You look at that dickhead Gaines. He is solely responsible for the long catch by Corey Davis, which led to points being put on the board. And that happened because he didn't recognize the way the wide receivers stacked up. One in the front, one behind. They're each going to split off in a different direction. He got confused and covered somebody that was already covered and then couldn't recover. I mean, even though they talk about his athleticism, he couldn't recover enough to make the play on Corey Davis which led to a gigantic catch. I mean, Chris, I don't understand it. Last week, it was me yelling about Ramon Humber getting snaps over Matt Milano. This week, it's it's a guy who, by all means, balled out last week, made Aaron Rodgers respect him, and yet you take him off the field and give, after giving him just 16 snaps and give the other 40 to a guy who gets abused in deep coverage. Because he's stupid. You can tell he can't. I shouldn't say that. But you can tell that he has a hard time figuring out what the offense is doing in terms of route combinations. And he's a liability. Yeah, I don't get it. Why are you trying to fix things that are not broken? It's horseshit. They're playing good. Keep them in the game. I don't know, but they need to figure that shit out. The shining part of our defense was the front seven for me. I mean, look at the statistics. Three force fumbles. 11 plays for negative yardage. I mean, they had a huge line of scrimmage presence. And the linebackers, Lorex, Trey, and Milano, combined for 22 tackles, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, two defended passes, and two tackles for a loss. When you look at the front seven as a whole, I will give the defensive tackles their, their due credit. They dominated the Titans' offensive line. Kyle Williams had the best game of his entire season. Star Latulale probably had the best game of his entire season. He looked like the guy that we paid, or that we're paying nine million dollars a year. I mean, he was that dominant version of the player we thought we were getting when we signed him in free agency. 
Harrison and Jordan Phillips, who, Chris, I shit you not, I'm going to start referring to as the Bash Brothers if they can p- keep up this level of play. Is he wearing 97? Yes. He was very noticeable. Someone that don't know what's going on half the time, and I focus solely on you watching the game, I did notice 97 jump fucking, off the field. Fucking right. He was a monster. He's, he's the biggest guy in our defensive tackle group. Uh, Jordan Phillips, cast off from the Miami Dolphins. We bring him in off waivers. He comes in and just starts making splash plays in his first start, uh, his first uh, action here in Buffalo. It's incredible. The defensive tackle group did great. And Harrison, Harrison Phillips looks like he's ready to kind of start sliding, uh, eating up more of those snaps that Kyle Williams has been taking, which I think is going to be great. It could lay the foundation for us to start scaling back Kyle Williams' workload, keeping him fresh for fourth quarters and you know pass rushing situations, which would be huge. I mean, think about the production we could get out of that guy if we massage this group the right way. We have the was it Jordan Phillips? He keeps playing the way he's playing. Then you're gonna that's taking away snaps from uh, Kyle Williams, which you need to Harrison he's Phillips. Old. Harrison Phillips. More snaps and in fact, you could rotate. The, the thing about Jordan Phillips is you can put him at either Lotulule's position or Kyle Williams. He can play three or zero. Well, I guess they call that yeah zero technique or three tech. When you flip flop them like that, and you've got a guy who's a true nose who's just out there to eat blockers. Jordan Phillips is big enough to do that at three hundred and forty-one pounds and six foot something. I think six foot six, six seven. At the same time, he's such a penetrator that you can put him out there in the other role and rotate guys. I mean, this might have that that waiver move might have really. I mean, most waiver moves just kind of come and go. This one might have really added a true impact player to this front seven. For all of the accolades I want to heap on these guys, though, the most impressive part of our defense to me was the linebackers. I mean, that was my favorite. That's what I'll say. They swarmed Tennessee's offense. A couple weeks ago, Chris, I was over here bitching about Lorenzo Alexander being a li- being a liability in coverage. I mean, well, you do bitch more than praise. <laughs> tell you that right now. The guy had a great game. He was everywhere. He had a few big plays in coverage. He lined up everywhere. He was on the edge, setting it, uh, setting the edge in the run game. He even lined up over center as a blitzer in the in certain packages, coming up the A and B gaps. They put him everywhere, and it was nice to see that. You know, his versatility, and to see that he can still play you know, beneath his age. I didn't notice uh, Edmonds until I watched All-22 on Twitter. He stood out. Fucking right some he does. Plays. Edmonds is starting to round, you know, the last two games, again, like Teron Johnson. We've got these rookies who are starting to round into form. Aside from the early force fumble, you know, that's the splash play he made in the game but he was solid in his run fits and his pass drops. I mean, I I look at it on second and four. They're in the red zone on their own seven-yard line. I mean, you're in the red zone. Everything is critical at this point on defense. Edmonds makes this beautiful play. It's a running play to Deion Lewis. He slips his block and gets gets behind the line of scrimmage. He doesn't make the tackle on the running back, but he forces him back inside to the defensive formation instead of allowing him to bounce it outside. And the guy's tackled for a one- or two-yard gain. I mean, Chris, that's it. If he gets outside, it's a touchdown. 
And this game, I mean, it was on the very first drive for the Titans, where we forced, where we held them to a field goal. The first sustained drive of theirs, we held them to three, and that play was a big reason for it. Because on the following play, the front seven got in his face and forced an incomplete pass. So that whole drive came down to Edmonds just making a smart play and saying, look, rather than shooting into the backfield and trying to overrun the route, I overrun the, uh, the, the run fit. I know that I can't make the tackle, but what I can do is I can flush him back inside and let somebody else clean up the mess. I mean, that's amazing. That's maturity. That's understanding the scheme you're playing in, Chris. And the moment he starts to really understand this scheme and really understand where he needs to be on an instinctual basis and not a thinking basis where he's, you know, on every snap, okay, where do I need to be? With his athleticism, you're going to start to see this kid pop. And once again, Matt Milano made his presence felt regardless of down or distance. Last week, Chris, I brought it up. I was bitching about the fact that they kept taking him off the field to put Humber out there because they quote-unquote wanted to give him a look. Well, Milano played 98% of the snaps this week and proved that he deserved it by providing 10 tackles couple tackles for loss, and a fumble recovery. That's his second fumble recovery of the year when he gets to see significant playing time. When he wasn't making tackles, he was just being disruptive. I mean, he stayed away from blockers. He's One thing I've noticed from watching him play when I rewatch the coaching film at NFL Game Pass, you see Milano constantly letting the pile kind of form, and he sifts through the garbage in front of him and just finds the ball carrier and then is able to come down on downhill on him and close. It's really impressive for a guy who was a fifth-round draft pick. I mean, Chris, I, I, I think when that, that draft episode that we did with Dean Kindig, I remember telling you all that I thought that was a wasted draft pick. Yeah, you, you're usually like that with a lot of our draft picks lately, is that this pick sucks. Teron Johnson, Matt Milano, Josh Allen. I don't know why you don't work for the Bills in the, in the scouting department. <laughs> Which is why we, we bring in professionals who help us with our scouting over the summer because God knows I can't do it. And I think one of the things I liked the most was that Milano seemed to be at his best when, he, when we got pinned into our, you know, when, when either we were pinned in our own end or they were back in their own end. Either red zone was when Milano really turned it on. That was impressive to me. I mean, there was plays at when you know the couple series where the Titans kind of were backed up in their own twenty. He was able to just pin his ears back and go. He's like, "Look, you throw. I know that my linebackers and safeties are behind me, and I've got eighty yards worth of field to make up for this mistake. I'm coming after your running backs. I'm coming after your tight end shallow from the line of scrimmage. Nobody was getting away from him. That's what I like to see out of this kid. I mean, with him and Edmonds, Chris, we may have found a true tandem." At linebacker here. And they're both young. They both have a ton of room to grow. Uh, the most important thing, they don't cost a whole lot right now. No! And that's it. I, that's, that's the one thing I guess I want to reiterate, reiterate to Bills fans about this performance. In all, the Bills defense did a great job in both phases of play, run and pass. And they held the Titans to their lowest offensive output of the season. It's just 221 yards. I mean, you think about it. This is a quarterback who threw over 300 against the Eagles' defense last week. 
and they forced three turnovers and did it while giving snaps to seven players on defense with two years or less in NFL experience, four of whom played at least 50% of the snaps. If that doesn't get your blood pumping, I don't know what does. I mean, the knowledge that our defense has won us two games this season and that they're doing it with players that are still facing the NFL learning curve. If this staff can continue to cultivate these young, talented players and massage them into just what is a cohesive defensive unit, we could be, we could be looking at a cost-effective, high-performing defensive unit that doesn't come with a high price tag sooner rather than later. That's my takeaway from this. I watch this and I see a defense that has so many young kids on it that are just playing their balls off. And it's because of the coaching they're receiving. I mean, you think Jordan Phillips was so bad in Miami, he got cut. He came here, had a dominant performance. Ryan Lewis. Ryan Lewis was an undrafted free agent. He showed up here and started a game for us and was so good that Aaron Rodgers had to stop trying him. Trey White, high-end rookie. Runner-up for defensive rookie of the year last year. Should have been a pro bowler. This, is, this coaching staff seems to be about teaching. And these kids on defense seem to be learning. I don't know if the offense will ever really catch on underneath Sean McDermott, but at least I can say that the defense, the young kids are thriving, Chris. And that more often than not, is probably going to be the way we have to win games this season. And so that leaves us to the hero and zero of the week. I, I got to give it to inside linebacker Matt Milano. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. The kid was incredible, and he just put on a show. I mean, 10 tackles, turnovers. Again, he's, he's collecting loose balls. Aggression. He's an aggressive line. I mean, he's a former safety. But he plays with a level of aggression that you don't see out of guys who are only six foot one. That's probably the most impressive thing to me. On the opposite side of this is the zero of the week, who's a guy who's on the opposite end of the spectrum, and that's big ass wide receiver Andre Holmes. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Is this because of his uh, the ball off his hands that was eventually picked? Absolutely. I'm sorry. I went back. You didn't like the effort I for watched, the rebound? I watched the film, which is something I hate. It makes my skin crawl when I see people go, well, I got to go back and watch the tape. Well, I'm going to go watch the tape, and I'm going to do some in-depth, quote-unquote, film analysis. Fuck you. You're going to go watch a guy throw a ball at another guy, and then because you have credentials and I don't, you're going to bloviate about how much more you know about it than I do. Go fuck yourself. That being said, I watched the film. Andre Holmes had that ball squared up. It was a great throw by I mean, it was one of the few throws of the day where you saw Josh Allen step up in the pocket, square himself to the receiver, really cut the ball. And the receiver just lets it get into his hands and up like a fucking volleyball game. In a game this close, where your defense is putting the offense on its back, that's not acceptable. It's not. Those mistakes are the type of mistakes that cost you football games. He's been around the NFL long enough to know it, and that's the reason that he's the zero of the week, because he should know better. But Chris, things went a lot worse for a lot of other people in our uh, in our division this week. <laughs> I mean, I think it's safe to say there's 
there's at least one fan base out there who's feeling much worse than we do today. And with that, we launch into this week's AFC East Roundup. Starts off in New England on Thursday Night Football. Patriots 38, Colts 25. I didn't, I didn't watch the game. I tried to, and I kept falling asleep. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I saw. I saw the Patriots all of a sudden be able to run the ball. Uh, so, I mean, that's it. Sony Michelle is the story of the game for me. Well, he's on my fantasy team. He had 98 yards, a touchdown, and his touchdown run, Chris, was absurd because he it's like the safety thought he could close on him and then not realizing Michelle has a second gear. And Michelle stiff arms this guy to the ground and just sprints away from him. Like, um, okay, because I was, I was at the Sabres game. I didn't get to see it. So are we talking like um, the, the stiff arm from Monday night, Pittsburgh and Tampa? Not that, quite that not, vicious, okay. but Jesus, it was still just... It's one of those stiff arms that you look at. You, you don't even like. Where you blame, retire at halftime? You don't blame the safety. You just look at him and go, man, you got fucked up. <laughs> and then the Colts. The Colts, my takeaway from, from that is that the Colts were a team that got fed the. They got handed the ball. There was a couple absurd turnovers. One of which, Gronk catches a ball near like the 20 yard line. And it's like he's waving a flag as a bullfighter and just olays the ball up into the air and it gets picked off. Like there was, there was some absurd shit happening, and yet the Colts couldn't find a way to ever really threaten New England. New England's back. They have you know two weeks in a row. They've just stomped the shit out of their opponents, and this week becomes must-watch football. Can they dig out of the hole that they were in? Can they against? the hottest up-and-coming team in the AFC. Patrick Mahomes! Your boy. I'm sorry. The Chiefs, this game is incredibly intriguing to me because the Chiefs are one of those teams. Sometimes they have the Pats number, sometimes the Pats have their number. Eric Reed. Eric. I wanted to say Eric Fisher, but <laughs> he's not on that team. Essentially, you've got a handful of players who are really good at what they do as far as being role players for New England. What you've got on the side of Kansas City is a machine that's been built by Andy Reid to essentially, we're going to run the ball, but we have this quarterback who can also run around and throw anywhere on the field. And we're packed at every skill position. What they've done is they've quietly built the, the worst defensive team in the, in the league, but the best offense that this I think this conference has right now. So that's going to be the question. Can the Patriots, with all of Bilicek, I mean, you think about Bilicek and Reed going back over the years. They've gone back and forth. Can they find a way, Andy Reed and company, to get past New England Whereas in years past, it's kind of been the opposite story. You know, when Brady's in, when the roster's healthy and everybody's there, they seem to just always have the Kansas City Chiefs number, except for the random home loss here and there. This game is must-watch must watch TV, folks. I'll be damned if I don't find a way to stay sober enough to stay up for it. Then the New York Jets. Jets 34, Broncos 16. What I, my takeaway from this game was a narrative shift on offense. 
I mean, in, in weeks past, I bagged on Sam Darnold for the fact that all of his throws were within five yards of the line of scrimmage and the team wasn't putting a lot on his plate. This week, all of his touchdown passes were massive, at least 40 yards through the air. I know, that's why I had Robbie Anderson on my fantasy team. It's incredible. He threw some doozies. And I, you know what? I, I can't fault him for it. They destroyed the Broncos. And the rushing attack did a lot of the damage. I mean, when you look at the inflated score, a lot of that was the fact that Isaiah Crowell just destroyed these guys. He had, what, 215 yards on, like, 18 attempts? If you had Isaiah Crowell starting in your fantasy team, good for you, because that was a matchup I never saw working. I just didn't. My takeaway from this is that this offense is really starting to put its faith in Sam Darnold, and when it does, it's enough to back safeties and defensive backs out of the box, which opens up their running game. And Isaiah Crowell has been, over the last few years, a good running back, and he was good for the Browns. Now that he's here with uh, New York, it's, it's scary, Chris. It's scary to see that team putting their offense together like that in a game. What do you think about this? I mean, Darnold's going to be amazing. I've been telling you that for years since he was in high school. Darnold's going to be amazing. It's, I can't. I can, the one thing I from the Jack game that I can't believe is that they ran the ball for over 200 yards with Chubb and Von Miller on that defense. Thank you. Well, That's amazing. But those are pass rushers. Those aren't interior offensive linemen. The defensive tackles and linebackers are on uh, the Broncos got their asses handed to so them. So Von Miller's not supposed to make plays on running back. Apparently not. <laughs> but, folks, you can all th- – don't worry. Yes, two of the teams in this division have gotten better. But there's always one in this year's team that we can all uh, kind of look at to claim the booty prize. Miami, the Dolphins lost. Bengals 27, Dolphins 17. I'm sorry, but if you're the Dolphins, knowing that you were winning 17-3 to to start the fourth quarter, this loss probably stings more than any other in the NFL this past weekend. I mean, knowing that that descent into chaos started with two offensive turnovers for touchdowns? Every loss hurts. You put 110 hours into a week, and you get kicked in the nuts like that, it pisses you off. That's Adam Gase from his Monday press conference with MiamiDolphins.com. <laughs> Even he recognizes what a kick in the balls that was. Jesus. Imagine how the fan base feels. Two weeks ago, Dolphins fans were screaming that they had taken over the division, that this was theirs now, and that you know the Patriots are done, our time is now, fuck these guys, we run this shit. Today, it's like Chicken Little over there. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. The, at the end of the day, the offense hung the defense out to dry. When your defense does well enough to hold the opposing team to three points through three quarters of football, I, I'd argue that you've done enough to win a football game. And at the same time, your offense, all of a sudden, because your offensive line is a goddamn sieve, you just spot them 14 points and tie the game. That's it. The wheels have come off. Now it's a scratch game, but your offense has been lulled into a false sense of security. And there's no excuse from it. There's no excuse. Veteran wide receivers, you have veteran tight ends, you have a veteran offensive line and a veteran quarterback. 
Right now, everybody is looking at the, uh, if you go to Bodog or Odd Shark gambling websites, you'll see that Jason Garrett is leading as far as when you look at odds to be fired for an NFL coach. If you wanted to wager money on it. Jason Garrett is leading the league. I wager that Adam Gates is actually more likely to be dismissed than, than, than anybody on any other staff anywhere here in the country. Every single season, we hear Adam Gase complain in, you know, at the end of the season. Wow, I saw guys quitting and I need better, so I'm going to bring in my guys. They gave him, Chris, they gave him full control of the roster. When he was hired, Gase was given essentially GM control, the same way Bill Belichick had. He's constantly whining about needing his guys, and yet... Year two, well, I saw a lot of guys quitting. Well, I thought those were your guys. I thought that you had vetted all these guys and determined them as, hey, this is the team that's going to do it for us. So then this year, we're going into it. Your offensive line, all of your acquisitions are either struggling or injured. And the veteran guys that you have, your Kenny Stills, your former first-round pick, Devontae Parker, is it, Chris? Sounds about right. Devontae Parker, he plays for the Dolphins. You're just, just this mess that you've created. Nothing's working. And that's the frustrating part because Gase is supposed to be an offensive guru. And yet the offense is the thing that's tanking their team, not the defense. It's incredible to me, and I don't know how much longer this guy will have a job. <sighs> All right, Chris, can you bring two more beers out of the fridge? Because we need to get lined up for this. This week's Week 6 preview. Buffalo Bills against the Houston Texans. Let's run it down like we always do, Chris. Time, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard. Place, I don't know what the hell their stadium's called. NRG. NRG NRG Stadium. Stadium. The weather, it's in a dome, so it doesn't matter. And the line has been taken off the books. I thought it was like 10 and a half. Well, maybe that came out today. Because as of Tuesday, the line was suspended. And everyone thought it was because of the Deshaun Watson injury, but I think it had more to do with all these rumors about LaShawn McCoy being traded. I mean, think about it. If the Bills don't have LaShawn McCoy, they're dead in the water. Maybe that line's 16 and a half. According to my Yahoo Sports app, Houston is favored by 11. Ah, there we go. Houston by 11. Always the underdog. Chris, what do we got for coverage and crew this week? Uh, uh, we're on mostly throughout the state of New York and Texas, and surprisingly, parts of Wyoming. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, the game will be on CBS, and it will be called by Andrew Catalan and James Lofton. Ooh, that's an interesting crew. I like that. Yeah, uh, apparently, well, Spiro Ditas is doing Chargers and Browns, so we don't get Spiro Ditas two weeks in a row. Poor Spiro. I love that guy. On the injury front, Buffalo Bills, tight end Charles Clay, questionable with an ankle injury. Safety Raphael Bush, questionable with a shoulder injury. Free safety Micah Hyde, questionable with a groin. And running back Marcus Murphy, questionable with a rib injury. On Houston, this is a little longer. Running back Dante Foreman, out with an Achilles injury. Cornerback Kayvon West Webster, out with a quad injury. Cornerback Aaron Colvin, out with an ankle injury. 
Linebacker Brian Peters, questionable with an ankle injury. Wide receiver Kiki Kute, Kiki Kuti, I don't know, questionable with a concussion. Running back Lamar Miller, probable with a chest injury. And Deshaun Watson is probable with a rib injury. To me, the 2018 Houston Texans are a mystery. 2017, with Deshaun Watson under center, their offense was a juggernaut, Chris. They set NFL records, okay? And, and looked to be threatening the grip that the Jaguars were supposed to have on the division, considering all the money and all the draft capital that they spent on their defense. Coming into 2018, everybody and their mother thought that the, the return of Watson, he was going to be healthy, hey, he's going to be ready for week one, he's going to be ready for week one, meant that they were just going to return to form and that they would at least be in the AFC South title conversation. And that they were a wild card candidate at worst. That's why it's hard to sit here now and see them with the same record as the Buffalo Bills at 2-3. and three. And know that both of their wins came on the heels of poor coaching decisions from the opposite side of the field in overtime. I mean, who is this team? And what did they do with the guys who used to wear those jerseys, Chris? That team looked completely different last year. Didn't, didn't the Texans like look so-so when they put Watson in, and then by like his second or third start, then they became that offensive juggernaut? Mm, it was well. That was when the coach went back and redesigned their playbook. Yes, and as soon as they changed the playbook, it worked. Now they have the playbook. It's just not working. Yeah, I don't get why it's not. I mean, maybe, well, Deshaun Watson got injured, what, Sunday Sunday night? The rib injury happened Sunday night? Yeah. That, I mean. I mean, he says he's going to play, which is fine. I don't care. You go out there and play with her ribs. That's, it's your funeral, pal. For our preview tonight, we reached out to Battle Red Blog, which is the uh, SB Nation affiliate of the Houston Texans. We reached out to their film analyst, Brett Coleman, for information. I mean, he's a Texans fan. He runs his own YouTube channel, which provides film review from around the NFL. And he'll be joining us next week for a recap to this game and a preview of our matchup with the Colts. So when talking to him about all this and just doing my own research, Chris, this is where I want to start our preview. Deshaun Watson injury underscores an offensive line that is in trouble. As of Tuesday, like I said, this game wasn't being offered by most sports books as a bettable option. A lot of that, I mean, yes, you can bring in the LaShawn McCoy angle, but you can also bring in the fact that people didn't know what was going to happen with Deshaun Watson. When you have a guy with a, a quarterback with a rib injury, where it's, he's clearly uncomfortable on the sideline, he's constantly fidgeting with his pads, rubbing his chest, you can tell he's having a hard time breathing when he's running around. I mean, that's big big news for anybody, especially a quarterback who thrives off moving. I mean, most of his success has come when he's been able to move around in the pocket and evade pressure. For me, just looking over the stats in five weeks' worth of game-related data, Chris, I'm seeing a new picture starting to form. I need to know what the hell is going on with the line in Houston. I mean, first of all, you... You look at the rushing attack. They're second in the NFL with 145 attempts as a team. 
whereas the Bills have 141. But they have two fewer rushing touchdowns than the Bills to go along with the same number of runs of 20-plus yards and are just a half a yard per carry better. And you figure McCoy missed a game. If LaShawn McCoy had played, those numbers would probably be higher. So you figured the other games, Chris, we were so behind, as to your point, every time I bring up the Green Bay and uh, Baltimore games, our lack of running. And Chargers, don't forget that game too. When you're behind, you stop running the football. Yeah. So to know that this team has almost the same number of attempts as a, uh, the same number of attempts as us, and at the same time has been less effective, <laughs> it's it's I don't know. It it makes you wonder. Okay, so you're not running the ball well, then you should be at least passing the ball well. And you made it two and three somehow. And then I look at the passing side of the ball, and one statistic sticks out like a sore thumb. Quarterback hits allowed. The Bills are leading the NFL with 22 sacks. Josh Allen is leading all quarterbacks at that rate. And in yardage loss from sacks. But the Titans have 18 sacks. But when you look at quarterback hits, not only are the Houston Texans leading the NFL, They've allowed 20 more than the Bills through just five weeks. They're averaging 10.5 hits on the quarterback per game. And they're on pace to finish the season with 168 whacks on the quarterback. Chris, the single season record for the NFL is 104 sacks in a single season, set by the 1986 Eagles and Randall Cunningham. The fact that this kid is on pace to at least outpace that contact ratio, it, it's not good. It's not. So who do you blame for it if you're looking at the Houston Texans? And what can we exploit? Rookie left tackle Martinez Rankin. Prior to Sunday versus the Cowboys, I don't even have the updated statistics. I just have what I looked at before the game. He led all NFL offensive linemen with 27 quarterback pressures allowed in five games. In fact, it was four games. That's more than six teams. Chris, more than six teams. There are six teams in the NFL who have allowed fewer quarterback pressures than this one left tackle who happens to be playing for our opponent this week. Then we should put uh, Murphy and uh, Jerry Hughes together on that same side, (laughs) and they should attack that while holding hands. You'd think so, but it gets better. They're also playing a backup right tackle in Julian Davenport. Okay? He's a turnstile as well. The last time a left tackle struggled to pick up Jerry Hughes, I mean, the guy's having a hell of a season. But the last time somebody actually got a chance to pick here, kind of get in on a left tackle on this Bills roster, it was Jerry Hughes, and he destroyed the Minnesota Vikings game plan. Kirk Cousins got his lunches, a sack, and a forced fumble, all coming from just the left side of the line. With Trent Murphy kind of coming into his own as a rusher off the right-hand side. And you're telling me both tackles are shit? <laughs> oh, you would think, that, I mean, this creates a bookend problem for the Texans. So I posed to Brett Coleman the question of how his offense would try to slow down Hughes and Murphy. And his answer surprised me. 
And I think it answered some of the questions as far as how you are just racking up quarterback hits. According to Brett, the Texans are well aware that their tackles suck. And yet they don't seem to give a shit. Because instead of leaving running backs, fullbacks, and tight ends in to just chip and help the quarterback block, they instead just call more plays designed for Watson to get the ball out faster. They give him slants. They give him quick, uh, quick developing routes by the running backs and tight ends. That's an interesting wrinkle. You're talking about a team that says, hey, we're getting our quarterback slugged to death back here, but we're not going to help him. We're actually just going to say, hey, look, throw the ball faster. That's why he's getting hit more often is because he's not getting the, He's trying to make these three-step, four-step drops, and pressure is almost immediate. But he's still finding ways to deliver the football. And then you look at another thing that he gave to me, which is a nugget of information that I bet you not a lot of people have. He went on to say that the only time you're going to see the team leave extra blockers in at the line of scrimmage, if you ever see them with, you know, bringing back six or seven to block at the line of scrimmage, it's only when they're specifically trying to set up a shot downfield. So watch Will Fuller. Will Fuller and Hopkins, on usually on fly routes or deep crosses. That's it. He said that the only time you will ever see the Houston Texans bring extra blockers in is when they think that they need it because they want to try to get away with a 40-yard pass. That's an interesting wrinkle, especially considering that if a guy like Brett can come up with that, and people like us can see this stuff, NFL defensive coordinators have to be aware of that, Chris, right? Sure. I mean, it worked early on in the season for Houston. But in the last few weeks, anybody out there in fantasy who owns Will Fuller will tell you, that's kind of gone away. The deep passing game has kind of evaporated for him, hasn't it? Well, yeah. Plus, Will Fuller has been, like, off and on healthy. I think is he battling, he's battling, like, a hamstring injury. I he's think. always battling an injury. Given both of those things, I think it's a good thing that the Bills have done two things. One, they've improved every week since week one in tackling after the catch. Because if the idea for the Houston Texans is to come in and attack our defense with a quick passing offense, at least our D-backs and linebackers have proven that they can drop back in coverage and tackle a guy before he gets a ton of yards after the catch. I mean, we've improved a ton since that game against Baltimore and since our struggle against uh, the San Diego Chargers. And we've also, like I said, sixth in the NFL in passes of 20 yards or more. We just don't let it happen because our safety play is good. Even with the height injury, it's solid. So it's interesting to me to see how they're going to try to scheme against our defense, but I like that. Ma- I like the matchups as I see them right now. But some of that, I mean, you have to respect the passing talent. And that's where I think that their offense lives and dies this Sunday. Even with the struggles of the offensive line, their passing attack is the balls. They're deep at the wide receiver position, and it's probably the most potent in the NFL if it gets going, just from a pure talent talent perspective. One of the names you won't hear talked about very often is wide receiver Kiki Kuti. I'm sure I'm butchering his last name. I think you nailed it, Kuti. I picked him up. Okay. For fantasy. Out of Texas A&M. 
He grabbed my attention because I saw him play against the Colts. He put up 109 yards. But it was the way that they used him to get those 109 yards. They targeted this rookie 15 times, and he caught 11 of them. He was lined up everywhere. They used him as a running back. They used him in the slot. They split him outside. They put him outside in unbalanced sets and then had him as a shallow cross just to cut it up behind another receiver or tight end. They did everything to get this guy open, and he's a, he's a Swiss Army knife for this offense. He's fast and he's small, which makes him hard to tackle. It's... I'm telling you, he's the one I'm actually really worried about. The fact that their offensive coordinator is finding creative ways to use him should scare the hell out of everybody. Then you've got wide receiver Will Fuller. When he's healthy, he's a deep threat. He doesn't run a ton underneath. I mean, he doesn't have that quick twitch cutting ability. But at the same time, God help us if he gets open because down the field, especially if they're playing Phillip Gaines, especially if our defense decides to roll out Phillip Gaines. Because down the field, on those deep comebacks, deep curls, deep crosses, that's where Will Fuller, Fuller does his damage. And if he's lining up against, I mean, because you have to assume the next guy on this list has Trey White's full attention. If it's Phillip Gaines on Will Fuller, I'm terrified for the entire afternoon. Their wide receiver chart is topped out by DeAndre Hopkins. The guy is a monster. He does it all. I mean, short passing game, deep passing game, throws over the middle, he'll go up the seam, and in the red zone, he's everywhere. He has size, he has speed. No, no secondary can ignore him in the NFL. You can't leave just Trey White on him. You can't. He's too good. And unlike premier names like Julio Jones, his team actively leans on him in the red zone too, which makes him even that much more dangerous. We're five games into the NFL season. DeAndre Hopkins currently has 39 catches, 594 yards receiving, and two touchdowns, and a catch percentage of 68. The Buffalo Bills' entire roster currently has 70 catches, 772 yards, and two touchdowns. That underscores the type of talent we're talking about when he can out, almost out-receive our entire team. He's, it's going to be a huge ask. And the way that they choose to use him offensively is going to be a tough ask for our defense to cover. Now, speaking of defense, on the defensive side of the ball, I had another question for Brett. There's knowns and there's unknowns. In terms of things I know about the Houston Texans defense, I have two. J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. The two of them will destroy our offensive line. Chris, it's inevitable, like taxes coming due, and me... Once per Bills game, just tipping my head back and screaming "fuck" at the sky. Okay? Oh, and wishing a uh, some kind of uh, venereal disease on all of our <laughs> players and coaching staff. I shouldn't say all of our players, but uh, during this past week's football game, I did lean forward to the guy I had who was sitting in front of me at the game, and he said, "Man, you really dislike this staff." And I said, yeah, well, they tried to run a fake field goal. And, uh, you know, whoever came up with that idea, chlamydia. Chlamydia to him and everybody he knows. <laughs> just out of frustration. And that's just where my mind goes. Sorry, I'm, I'm fucked up. J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. Two-man wrecking crew for this offensive line. They're incredible players and they're unblockable when they're at their best. 
You put the two of them together, it doesn't matter who plays with them, the pressure is coming. The unknown is how the team was going to react to their missing number two and number three cornerbacks. I mean, I walked into this review kind of thinking, well, with these injuries, they're going to have no choice but to back their back their pass rush off, not blitz, and leave linebackers out there in coverage. Wrong again! I, I asked Brett about their defensive tendencies and how it might change with the injuries, and his response made me laugh. He says that even with even when their cornerbacks were healthy, they were still playing like ass early on in the season. And with that, knowing they were liabilities, Romeo Cronell, the, the Texans' defensive coordinator, still wasn't shy about blitzing. His philosophy is that if your secondary stinks, just keep throwing blitzes until no one can pass the ball. That is a giant steaming bowl of no good, Chris. For the Buffalo Bills, when you consider our poor offensive line performances this season, <laughs> Chris, what are we gonna do? I, I don't know. Uh, get Aaron Cromer. Maybe he can help coach. <laughs> get Aaron Cromer. The only thing he can help is his son beat up a bunch of kids over beach chairs. And that brings us to this week's obscure statistic of the week. Chris, why don't you tell me, reiterate to me what you saw on Twitter tonight by uh, NFL Mashup. What was their statistic? It had something to do with something that I don't know a whole lot about. The uh, Let's see here. Quarterbacks outside the pocket, according to, according to Patsa rating. Philip Rivers is number one at 129.2. And then it has the worst rated, and number one is Josh Allen, 5.7. So what that means, folks, is that when a quarterback rolls out of the pocket and has to leave and try to evade pressure and throw on the run, Josh Allen's rating is less than a 10. In the words of Rick James, that is absurd. Yeah. It's like mace. Every time I dig into any kind of passing statistics for this team, it just stings the eyes. And that brings us to our keys to victory, Chris. And I've got a couple of them. Pray? <laughs> no. Well, some of them might. First and foremost, Jerry Hughes winning against left tackle Martinez Rankin. Rankin is having one of the worst seasons in terms of pass protection that any NFL starter has had in almost decades. Hughes is going to have to find a way to exploit that and keep the deep passing game from getting off the ground. On the opposite side of the ball, the rushing attack has to stay hot. Despite the fact that the Texans have J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney, they're the 24th ranked rush defense in the NFL. Considering they'll be without two of their top three corners, and the amount that our offense is clearly going to rely on the rushing attack, it's going to need to be the backfield that carries the load for this offense because the last thing you want to do, Chris, is make your quarterback a sitting duck. And that's the third key. Keep Josh Allen alive. One Clowney against a rookie quarterback leading the NFL in sacks taken. On paper, this looks like a nightmare scenario. And, and you'd think that the only way to mitigate that is to move the pocket, get him outside, let him throw on the move. Yet from Chris's statistic that he dug up earlier tonight, 
that may not be a recipe for success either. I mean, that may be the easiest way we get back to another Green Bay performance. That being said, if throws from the pocket are the way that we're going to win this game, then it's going to be on the offense to get creative and figure out how to get more than 89 yards passing while ensuring that Josh Allen doesn't end up in a neck brace somewhere. That's it. I mean, that, that's all I've got, Chris. I mean, it's going to come down to what happens in the trenches for me because their offensive line is terrible. Jerry Hughes ain't that bad, and so is Trent Murphy when healthy, and vice versa. We have a shit O-line, and they have Clowney and Watt. So I'm going to be looking for in the trenches. I would trade our whole defensive line for Trey and uh, for Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt. I, prob- I probably would too. But I, I, the one thing I'm going to look I for. I would run a two, what, what, what is it, if you're talking 11 guys, I would run a formation that was just the two of them, a shitload of linebackers and maybe two safeties to cover deep. That's it. And that would be my, for- and I would flood the field with short area zone and just let Jadavian, just let Clowney and Watt go in there and dick punch their way to the quarterback. Oh, God. The two of them are murderers. Yeah, I think it's going to be killers. It's going to be one in the trenches. I'm going to be interested to see uh, if if either defensive line can force turnovers, whether that's fumble or interceptions, with pressuring Allen or Watson to where they're forcing a throw that they don't want to make and it gets intercepted. That's it. It's on it's, our defense. They our defense has to stay opportunistic and they got to get the pass rush going. Guys, make sure you tune in on Saturday. We're going to be live on Periscope, running down the final injury report, talking, you know, final keys to victory once now that now that everything's become a little clearer and we've done a little more research. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we, we really have to reestablish, Chris, our identity as the show that does a Saturday night video. Yeah, well, considering you moved, so, I mean, yeah. that's why we haven't been able to get on Periscope lately. It's a friggin' moving process. I'm so glad that's over. Guys, we got to get out of here, but before we do, make sure you're following us at Rock Power Report on Twitter. You can email us, you know, fan questions. We're happy to read them on the air at rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. And make sure you're giving Brett Coleman, like I said, our Texans contributor. He's going to be on the show next week. It's at Brett Coleman, B-R-E-T-T-K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N on Twitter. And we're going to link it in the show along with a link to his YouTube channel. His videos were great. We actually sampled some of his audio in the offseason after the draft talking about Trey Edmonds. He did a great breakdown on him that kind of cheered me up in terms of what kind of a player he could be. And now that I'm getting to see it play out, I don't know, it just lends more credence to the fact that the guy knows what he's talking about. And then Wise Guys Pizza. Guys, if you live in the South Buffalo area, Sloan, Cheektowaga, West Seneca, and you're not ordering from Wise Guys, you're an I, idiot. I don't know what you're eating, but it's shit. Stop it. <laughs> oh, Chris, this is going to be a hell of a week. I'm going to be a mess. It's going to be fantastic. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Power Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.